Welcome to Fringe Legal, where we explore innovation in action. I'm your host, Abhijat Sarasamuth, and in each episode, we dive into conversations with changemakers who share ideas, insights, and lessons from the journey. Join us as we put theory into practice and shed light on the world of innovation like never before. Just a quick note before we get started. Due to some technical issues with the recording platform, my audio is less than ideal. But rest assured, our guest, India's audio, is of great quality, as is what she has to say. So on this episode, we discuss India's winding road into the world of legal project management, tactical approaches to adoption, and how to challenge the status quo, amongst other things. Without further ado, enjoy this conversation with India Preston. I'm delighted to have India Preston on this episode. India is the director of Platform Solution at Loopal. We'll talk a lot more about what Loopal is and how India got started. I think it's a pretty interesting story for us to uncover today. India, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Ab. Thanks for having me along. And for anyone who may be following the Fringe Legal journey, you might know that part of my day job outside of Fringe Legal is I also work at Google. So this is a particularly fun episode because India and I both work together too. But I think a lot of the things we'll talk about, I don't know the answer to. So this will be certainly an exploration for me as well. So India, let's set the stage before we go into your history and your background. For anyone who may not know, give us a a high level overview of what Drupal is. So Loopal is a legal project management platform. It aims to bring lawyers together to work together more effectively, to communicate better and communicate more transparently with people outside of their organization as well as inside and to streamline their workflows. So really trying to get you from the beginning to the end of your matter in the most effective way and in the best way to deliver those services to their clients. Cool. So legal project management. I don't know if any kids that wake up and say, when I grow up, I want to become a legal project manager <laughs> to work in legal project management. So how how did you get into this world and you worked as a legal project manager as well right i did so when i was a kid i just wanted to be a lawyer that was the only thing i ever wanted i watched liar liar too many times um <laughs> carrie was the coolest <laughs> and i went to law school i did my lpc and then joined link Laters as my first job fresh out of law school so joined as a paralegal the day after I finished my last exam. Didn't give myself much room to play. <laughs> but I started in the disputes team and I, I really loved it. I worked really hard. It suited me. It did well. But then there was an opportunity that came up and I was applying for training contracts at the time. But there was an internal opportunity that came up to help really just with, with one partner was trying to run his matters a little bit differently. And legal project management was barely even a whisper in the legal industry. This was back in 2013. But he wanted a project manager to come and help manage his project, manage his enormous team. He was working with 40 to 50 people to try and deliver this large financial investigation. And I was put forward to be the person to help. Now, I had no project management experience at that point. So 
we were all learning together, but I got trained on MS Project. I started to learn how to use spreadsheets and it all just came together and suddenly it worked. The partner was really happy. The client was really happy. We started to see results. And then over the course of the next five years, we built this legal project management team. So there were two of us at the beginning, and then we grew it to 25 people by the time I left, left Linklaters. Um, so it wasn't exactly where I saw myself going, <laughs> but it was really exciting. I got to work with lots of different people and we could really see the results of legal project management and how, how effective the whole thing was really, really quickly. Cool. There's probably a lot to unpack there because for one, covered a five-year period, <laughs> about 15 seconds. And for anyone who doesn't know, LPC is the solicitor's training um, in the UK or England, Wales, to be a lawyer, which we might think as a lawyer internationally. So obviously you started in a huge and um, a big firm, albeit in a small slash non-existing function. So we'll, we'll talk about building that out in a second. I'm curious um, if you can go back one step. You said that back in 2013, LPM was not even a whisper. Is mm -hmm. that different now with 10 years on? And certainly you spend a lot more time in the industry, link to the side, because they obviously have a team, at least when you left, a decent sized team. Do you think LPM is a much more common thing in? Uh, all firms or across the, the broad spectrum of firms? I think the key difference now is that everybody knows about legal project management, whereas back when we started, you had to convince a lot of people to even um, grasp that it was a thing. Um, it, now everybody understands what legal project management is. To a rough degree, there's still a lot of education there. They don't necessarily know how to apply legal project management. But they understand that it's something that's valuable. Um, the larger firms have teams. Even if it's a small team, those teams might be individuals dedicated to practice groups. It might be a team that's resourced out to work on lots of different types of matters across practice groups. But you can even have legal project managers for hire these days. I did that for a little bit during my consultancy. People know what legal project management is. But I, I still think we've got a really long way to go before it's applied effectively. Every lawyer is a legal project manager to some degree. Everybody has to. And certainly as you become senior associate matter manager level, you have to know how to run your project and, and see it through to the end. All matters are just a project. They're temporary. They have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Legal project management is about making sure that that matter is run in the, in the best way possible, that you're streamlining your workflows, you're making sure you're coming in on time and within the budget that you set, you're seeing through all the promises that you made at the very beginning of the matter and you're accomplishing and delivering the outcomes that your clients asked of you. And lawyers do that pretty well. They've been doing it for a very long time, but even the charging model that all of that's based on, that's changed in the last 10 years it's still going to change over the next 10 years. And I think as a lot of those changes and all of the competitors that are starting to surround lawyers and law firms come more into play, legal project management is going to become 
necessary on every matter. Whereas at the moment, it's targeted more than more highly complex matters, I think. It certainly was 10 years ago, and I think yeah. that's probably still the case now. Yeah. Um, well, put a pin in, in that and we'll come back to it. Uh, because, yeah, there's, there's some great nuggets there. I'm going to take you back to 2013. You're starting at Linklater's. And, and I'm thinking of this as a viewpoint from someone who is leaving law school now or just starting to look for roles, or maybe he's in, in a firm today and thinking of taking a different path, which mm-hmm. you did, right? What was the, if you can think about it, or maybe in, in hindsight, what was the mindset for you as you were asked to work on this matter, helping this partner? Was and the obviously you had to, you said project management experience, you had to learn all of these other tools like planner and Excel and all these things. And most people don't learn how to use Excel very well, well, period, but definitely in school and university. How, how did you feel about it? Were you disappointed? Were you like, I wanted to be a lawyer and now I'm just managing work and just running spreadsheets? Or what was the for you? Were you quite open to the idea because at least you're working in a large, prestigious firm? It's really interesting because I, I was reflecting on this earlier today. It was always very painful for me that I'd done so much to get to where I got to in terms of doing all my exams, making sure that I really put myself in the best possible position. And joining Linklaters, I was so proud to join Linklaters as my first firm and actually sailed into the job. And, and, and in my paralegal interview, they said, why are you joining as a paralegal? You should be joining as a trainee. And I'll never forget that because I justified it at the time, but I think I, it always hung over me. I, I always felt like I should be a trainee. But I, I did all the training contracts. I had loads of interviews. I was always second place. I always got that letter saying, we'd love to have you, but... And it reached a stage where I knew that as a paralegal, I was doing a great job. I also had started to see loads of holes in the system. I think when you're working more on the business side of things, you start to see that actually the lawyers are working too hard. We're also working too hard. Everybody is slightly operating in different zones, Mm -hmm. but there isn't necessarily as much overlap as there should be. People aren't communicating in the right way. And maybe I didn't realize it at the time, but it was my first opportunity to start, I don't know, understanding, unpacking that a little bit more, figuring out really how I could help to change things. And giving an opportunity, being given this opportunity to really start something from scratch was really exciting. And I think I'm naturally very curious. So I felt like I couldn't really go wrong with it. There wasn't really anything to lose. It was just taking a chance. And it helped that the team that I ended up working with was also going into legal tech. So that's yeah. sort of where it sparked my legal tech interest. There were lots of opportunities and it just, it felt like I was moving into the next level of the firm, the next level of law and and starting to try and, I don't know, make waves in something that was completely yeah. undiscovered. I was unafraid to fail at that point. Yeah. And I, I, I imagine if we had this conversation 10 years ago, the answer would be a little bit different, right? All of these things on reflection. As, as you grow up and have done the role and seen all the positives and everything else, they seem different, but yeah, certainly I'm sure it must've been a deep of faith and part of there, there is a, 
unclear failure, but you, you have to adjust to something that you'd always dreamed of being a lawyer. And now you had to deal with, okay, I work in a law firm surrounded by what I wanted to be at one point, and yeah. that I'm doing something completely different. So it's, that's a part of just getting comfortable with everyone wants to be a lawyer because it's not like we go out there and glamorize most mm-hmm. other roles that are absolutely essential to the function of a law practice in any shape or form. Yeah, I think it, 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 I can't imagine by it. I'm, uh, it would have been much more challenging than what you're making it sound like. I'm sure, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure probably quite a few sleepless nights. And then we, we talked about no project management experience. You, you mentioned that legal project management today, even today, is used mostly on the large complex matters, and I can certainly watch for that. Are most LPMs, based on your experience, are they what certainly I might call as a traditional project manager? And uh, that sounds negative, but it's not meant to. But traditional in the sense of they've done the project management qualification, they're trained in Prince2 and Agile and all of these other things. And generally, they're being allocated to the business side of the house versus the practice side of the house. And they're now coming in to just lend a hand, essentially, to the lawyers because these cases or matters or deals have gotten so big and unwieldy that someone has to step in and make sure they're running to time, budget, and all, all of the important things that firms care about. When we were starting out, we interviewed a lot of people to bring into the team, particularly mm-hmm. as we started getting more demand and we just needed to plug the holes. So at Link Latest, when we were growing our team, we immediately looked to the consultancy firms. So we were looking at big four and we wanted people that had that real project management expertise. They knew exactly how to run something in the slickest way. While we had a lot of success with a lot of those people, we realized quite quickly that actually it wasn't the sharper project management skills that we were looking for, because those people also needed to integrate really effectively and really quickly with the lawyers. And that requires a lot more of the softer skills. We had a really nice blend in the end of people that had the Prince 2 and the Agile, although they probably had to understand that they weren't really going to be using the terminology and all of the principles that they'd learned with those qualifications. And then we also had the paralegals that wanted a change in career. We were trying to offer opportunities up to people that had more of a legal background because they then married up with those other people and they sort of blended all the skills that you needed. Legal project management doesn't necessarily require really rigid project management techniques and processes. It requires somebody who can step back from a matter and can be responsible for running that matter and telling people exactly what needs to be done and when, making sure that people are on track, making sure that they're keeping track of that budget because that often falls away. It's something that's considered at the end. So it's making sure that there are people that are blending well with lawyers, that lawyers don't feel a sort of speaking in a language that they don't understand. We always required everyone to have some form of project management qualification. So I am APMP qualified. I did that qualification in the first year of us setting up the team. But I don't think legal project management requires anything too technical, but a good understanding of how to scope properly and make sure you understand 
you don't need to even have an in-depth knowledge of any of the legal processes that you're managing, but you need to understand what questions you need to ask at the beginning to help you manage that matter all the way through to the end. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's the, I mean, the qualifications gives you the, the foundations of how things should work, especially working on with lawyers, legal professionals and in law firms. So you left Linklater's after five years, you consulted for a while and at some point you joined Loophole. Yeah. Already you had to deal with coming in and doing something that you didn't want to do initially, but obviously you killed it, built a team and you know, had success and you moved on. Mm-hmm. What made you look at Loophole and yeah, talk me through that point. So when I was at Linklater's, I also established the AI program. So we'd started to use certain legal technologies. We started to form a bit of a band of people that were managing legal tech products. And I was given the opportunity to then, this was early days of the legal project management. So we were a little bit quieter. And I went out and just started interviewing a whole load of people outside of legal. So I was speaking to the likes of Raven, who are now part Mm -hmm. of iManage. And we got on really well with them. I didn't really know what I was necessarily looking for them to do, but I was trying to understand what they could do and ended up bringing them in to sit with me and my team for probably six months. And we ended up building bespoke like Q&A solutions with our real estate team. We started running trials on document review processes. Anyway, I, I loved it. I really enjoyed it. It was really interesting. And I could see such a future in legal tech at that point. So when I left Linklater's and I was doing consultancy projects for various law firms around the UK, taking on lots of different types of work projects, again, just trying things out I'd never done before. I launched a office in Hong Kong below Silken. I built a business rates product for a listed property company. I, I did all sorts of projects, but the thing I really left behind was the legal tech. And so post COVID, I was talking to lots of people about new consultancy projects, but then had a a look and I was speaking to friends that had just skipped from law over to legal tech. So one of my friends said, just given your background, are you not really interested in products like Loophole? I was like, well, what's what's Loophole? And he was like, I didn't think it exists yet, but I've read about it. And he sent me a couple of links. And I was like, oh, this sounds really like it resonates with me. But I was having to read between the lines quite a lot. I was talking about the advisory board and the collaboration between CMS, Cooley and Raja and Tan. Didn't really know very much. So I started hounding Matt on LinkedIn (laughs) and asking lots of questions and trying to find out a bit more. And the moment that Matt showed me a demo of Loophole first time around, I just, I just said, I just, where have you been? Because this is what I needed when I was setting up my LPM team at Linklaters, when I was setting up my LPM team at TLT, this is what we needed. A way for lawyers to communicate with each other, to set up matter-focused workspaces where you can share documents, you can have task lists, you can set deadlines for things. And people actually have to meet those deadlines because everybody else on the team can see them. There were just so many components that I'd be missing myself in my legal Mm. career. And I, I, always knew that I wanted to keep on working with law firms, but I, at that point, 
had forgiven myself for not becoming a lawyer and it was all right if I <laughs> went down a slightly different route. And and I knew that legal tech was still something that was like an itch I would scratch. So when Matt said, actually, there is no thing, we're looking for somebody and you might fit the role. Again, it was leaping into a job I'd never done before. Right. But I had so much faith in the product. I didn't really mind at that point. I was going to see where it took me. And Very yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And for everyone listening, um, Matt is Matt Collins, who's a co-founder and now the chief strategy officer in Blue Ball. Um, and if people aren't getting this from what India is saying, Blue Ball is a relatively new company. Uh, they've been around since 2019, so very much a startup. And um, startups are a different breed. Honestly, you already had that startup experience, having built a, a new function in a large firm, but this is different. So there's still, I'm sure there'll be some similarities. I think, um, conscious of time as well. One of the things I want to make sure that we cover is as and now your role is very much internal and external focus. You're, you're quite literally the glue that sort of brings together the product sales, marketing, success team, and translates a lot of the customer ask all legal tech, and I would probably be bold enough to say all legal tech and all tech generally suffers from the same challenge, which is solving the black page problem and solving the adoption problem. They're curious about what are some of the things that you seem to be working both in law firms and how, how do you think about adoption for both the tool and also in just getting people to try something that's new and different? It's such an interesting meaty topic. One of the biggest problems that I've seen, and whether you're adopting legal tech, whether you're adopting a legal project manager, whatever it is, something new in legal, it, it won't succeed if you haven't clearly identified what your problem is. If you don't have a problem, you don't know what you're trying to solve. So even if you come across a really nice new shiny product that looks great, if you don't have a problem that that product is designed to solve, then you're not really going to see any real adoption. You might see some interest at the beginning, but that's going to plateau and it's probably going to fall off. It'll become shelfware. So I think then we've spoken to a lot of teams. You and I have experienced this ourselves in the last six months. The, the places where it's really exciting for us as a vendor it's when we have customers come to us who know exactly what their problems are. And they say, oh my God, where have you been? A bit like me with Google that first time. It's, God, I've really needed this. And they can tell us, we don't have to encourage it out of them. They can tell us exactly why it is that they need us without us doing a sales pitch. Um, and it, it's amazing the number of people that haven't necessarily been able to or haven't taken the time to really go through and speak to everyone in their organization and understand exactly what it is that the key problems are. So I think identifying problems and only looking to solve those problems is something that's really key. I think in terms of rollouts and where that I've seen teams fail is because they've gone too big too quickly. So they've bought something or they've got a, a legal project management team and they've gone, you need to conquer the whole firm. You need to do all of it. You need to take on all the teams at once. And that just can't work because lawyers are very comfortable doing the work that they do. They're not necessarily looking to be disrupted. They're not, they don't have time 
to learn to do things differently, let alone encourage others to do the same. So once you embed something and they see value, they're also very competitive. So if they see somebody succeeding in something because they've adopted something new, that's when they're more likely to make that jump and take the time to try and do the same. So I think in terms of adoption, starting really small with a team within a team, making it successful, ironing out all of the creases, whether that's for loophole templating a process and embedding it on three, four, five matters and really making sure that you've nailed down the process. You, you understand exactly how loophole can support on that exact matter type. And then you spread it out to the rest of your team and you start working more. And then you can start to work cross team and, and talk to others. And it's that process of kind of self-promotion just through mini success. You don't need to have a big win. It's all about the small wins that mount up. They really count. Talk a little bit more about actual tactical things. So the use case library for example, that you've created, how something like that might help in getting started? Yeah, we've we've built a use case library for Loopal and it's something that people always need a little bit of support with. You can't go into a, a new piece of technology and not understanding any way that it's going to apply to any of your matter types. So we've really tried to, a, a product like Loopal is fitted to actually any matter type, but that almost makes it harder because there's too much to choose from. And so we've created a, a use case library. It has over 80 use cases in it. It's growing all the time. It grows when we speak to customers who have been using it in certain ways. It grows when we come across new use cases ourselves just through discovery. And they really just set out at a high level, the matter type, how you might use Loopal as a product to support that matter type and just gives you some pointers to get you started. And then within Loopal itself, we have a template library with publicly available templates. You can also start to build your own templates. So based on those use cases, we might then sit down and work with you really closely to build out that use case bespoke for your firm yeah. um, and tailor Loopal so that it's a, a very specific solution for the way that you like to work. And so, yeah, for for any tech product, I think having a, a bank of case studies, of user stories, ways that help people to envisage how it works practically yeah. is a really great starting point. And then coupled with that, you have tutorials, you have your support hub materials, you have webinars. There are lots of other ways. Keep creating a bit of a, bit of a community. That's definitely something we've tried to do in Loopal, which is, has seen some real success. We, we create a bit of a community within a Loopal matter where people can share their success stories. And it's a, a more informal way of sharing between customers rather than it necessarily being something you have to share with us as the vendor. Yeah. And I think it's that push and pull, right? The, the push is you as the vendor just pushing out content so people are aware of it. That's all the marketing things and the webinars in this podcast perhaps could be an example of that, blog posts and all of these things. And the pull is people actually providing insight and guidance on this is how we're doing it, the, the real life story, so to speak, rather than just the, this is how it could be. And you need to figure out a way to 
advertise some of the pulls into the pushes. So everyone else becomes aware of that. And then you talked about templates, but it, it, it's an important part to marry those templates up with something you said right at the beginning, which is understand what problem the person is looking to solve or the person is looking to solve um, yeah. and not go too big too quickly. And it's a counterintuitive thing because you're buying something to be used by the entire firm, mm-hmm. but you need to start, as you said, in a place where you really want to identify a couple of success stories internally, which maybe the outside world never hears about, but they become the, the, the core points that help you get adoption and create that flywheel because you can have a partner or practice that says, yes, we're using Drupal or whatever the tool is on all of our work or for all of our work. And this is how it helps me. And those stories are always a lot more impactful. I know that you work closely with KM Innovation, LPM teams to identify that because I think the challenging thing is just asking the question sometimes. And yeah. so having someone else who's external, who's seen as a bit more objective, whether you are or not, is debatable. Sometimes even saying exactly the same thing just lands differently. Do you think that's right or do you disagree? Absolutely. I've done a lot of process mapping in my time, particularly as a consultant. And when you stand back from a process that you've just mapped in a kind of as is, this is how they do it. You don't ask any questions. You put up on the wall on post-it notes exactly the process as it is. And then you stand back and you say, why do you do that? Why do you do that? Why do you do that? And you don't, you just play the idiot. You, you just ask as many questions as you possibly can. It's amazing how many times the answer is, that's how I was taught to do it. There's no logic. It's not, I, I understand that there are better ways of doing it, but we do this because of this. It's just, no, that's just the way we've always done it. And to be able to challenge that and to pull it away and then put those post-it notes back together again in another way and to, for everybody in the room to look at that process again and say, huh, Actually, yeah, that does make sense. I don't know why we did it the other way beforehand and you so quickly forget about it. When it's that obvious, it's exciting because you realize that actually there is so much opportunity like that. Yeah. In- um, yeah and you know, you're getting people to have the light bulb moment for themselves. Yeah. yeah. That having somebody else in the room that can really challenge when they can't necessarily challenge each other that easily. And there are people that, do it and you hardly ever fail from asking questions right it's usually more beneficial to ask than not to ask yeah. but it's still a it's a it can be a frightening prospect when it might look like you're challenging authority or the kind of ways of the firm or whatever it is so actually sometimes bringing somebody else in to do that challenging for you can be a quicker way to yeah. turn things right yeah absolutely yeah. um awesome I know we've been, I can keep talking and asking you lots more questions, but we're coming to the end of our time. For anyone who wants to find out a bit more, I'll include uh, links to LinkedIn um, in the show notes. Um, I know you also wrote a ebook recently on uh, actually a lot of what we spoke about, it's about uh, how LPM transport my law firm's workflows. Um, I'll link to that as well. And yeah, thank you, India. It was great having you on and 
thank you for the practical tips and also the life lessons. Great to see you. Thanks, Ab. Great to chat. Anytime. And that's a wrap for today's episode of French Legal. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey through the mind of innovators, sharing their ideas to inspire us all. If you enjoyed this conversation, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We hope these discussions have sparked your own ideas and helped you think about how you can put them into practice. Until next time, stay curious and keep pushing the boundaries.